And it's actually within that context that, too, the love of God that you have for one another is going to be displayed to a lost and a dying world. And this is how, this is why Jesus says in some manner, um, this is how they will all know that you are my disciples, how by the love that you have for one another. If that means, that means that that love actually has to be displayed in some way. Right? It's not enough to say one time in a, in a membership meeting or at the beginning of that relationship in the context of a church, I love these guys. You know, and if they ever question it, just come ask me. You know, I told you once, and if anything changes, then I'll let you know. Um, it's not appropriate. It's not appropriate in much of any relationship that means much of anything. Right? That actually the continual display of love and affection and service to one another and self-sacrifice to one another, not only in this context to strengthen the believers here, but also in the context of community life, it must be displayed. How else will they know? Simply because you say it? That I love the church? No, it will actually be in these tokens, these signs that are undergirded, yes, with a proper motivation of true love, but they, they culminate in this action that, that, that love compels us to serve and to sacrifice one for another. So Paul commands them, lay aside personal preferences. Your personalities don't matter. Race and ethnicity, um, it's, it's, it's irrelevant in this context. Therefore, greet one another, embrace one another um, in such a way that it's evident to all. Number two. Um, Paul commands this reality and then Paul demonstrates obedience to this command both individually and corporately. So you say, I, is, this, is this even possible? Some might ask. Paul actually tells us with clear statements that this is a reality for those that are with me, those that are in the church of Rome, and particularly, especially, those who are in Caesar's household. Right? So we see it demonstrated, number one, in the, the, the statement there, the brethren who are with me greet you. Number two, we see it demonstrated in the reality that all the saints greet you, who Philippi. And number three, in Paul's statement, especially those who are of Caesar's household. So number one, those who are with me greet you. And again, just quickly, you'll remember if you've been with us that the Apostle Paul is now imprisoned. Um, according to Acts chapter 28, he's on something like house arrest with a total, um, uh, not with a total, but with a relative amount of freedom, such that he lives in his own residence, he has visitors frequently, he ministered the gospel, he wrote letters, he sent letters out, he ministered to the saints, and he could send laborers out, letters out. There is no doubt that Paul was frequented by fellow saints. Who were they? Uh, many conclude that there were anywhere from 8, 10, 12 men um, from other letters as well as this one. Uh, Paul, Paul uh, men that visited Paul would have been men like Philemon, Onesimus, Timothy, Titus, Luke, Demas, Aristarchus, Tychius. Listen to one man. He says, "He said, sounds like a homeschool conference." You know, um, that, that, that these men would actually often gather together with the apostle Paul while he's imprisoned, would minister to Paul, and Paul would minister to them. And these men, either having ministered with him. Um, Greet the saints at Philippi. So what does that have to do with anything? Well, if this word means something, and that this statement is true, then it means that these people that ministered with the apostle had grown a love and affection for the believers at Philippi, such that they wanted Philippi to know 
that love and affection they had for them as well. With a simple greeting, they desired for Philippi, the people of God, to know that Philippi was in their hearts as they were in Paul's. They shared Paul's affection and love for Philippi. And no doubt they shared in their prayers. What an encouragement it would have been for the afflicted saints at Philippi to know as they struggled in the gospel in desperate poverty that there were brothers, particular ministers with Paul, choice servants of God, they may argue, Paul's companions, binding together not only with Paul, but even with them in that ministry. You know? I don't know how many times, how encouraging, I can't tell you how encouraging it is to gather with a group of men and other pastors and for one to look you eye to eye with a warm embrace of a handshake and say, brother, I've been praying for you this week. You know? And when he prays for me, he's praying for you. That there are churches, and we'll get to that in just a moment, maybe a little application already. You know, one of the great undergirding reasons that we're striving to gather with other churches or to build those relationships I mean, is not necessarily because it's fun or we think that it's a neat idea. I mean, it's actually because that seems to be the biblical model and the apostolic example that there were churches that were gathering together or at least expressing and bringing the needs before other churches such that they had grown in affection. And what you see here, number two, is this affection for the church at Philippi uh, or the church at Rome for the church at Philippi. In number two, the brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you. What saints? Well, if he's in Rome and he's ministering to the Roman saints... I think it's probable to conclude that what he's talking about here is the Roman church. That the Roman church, in different capacities, whether it's the leadership or even the common uh, layman, um, seem to have been interacting with Paul in the ministry um, there while he's imprisoned. Otherwise, how could he say, all the saints greet you? Um, If he's talking about a particular group of people, um, Paul's not lying, we, we would assume, if this is the word of God and that Paul, when all the saints greet you, there's actually saints that are greeting you. Well, what saints? Well, while Paul's in Philippi, the saints that are there would be the saints in Rome. That it too seems that not only are the ministers there, um, you know, um, um, ministering to Paul and engaging with him in the ministry, but that too, possibly some of the saints came to serve the apostle while he's imprisoned. And at some point, Paul or someone else had let the church at Rome in on what God was doing at Philippi. But there is no indication that there was a meet and greet or or there was physical biological ties between the churches. The only connection that we can really find is Paul himself. And that through that ministry, God had given the church at Rome, through the ministry of the Apostle Paul, he must have made them aware of something that was happening at Philippi, that God was moving in some ways, that they were being afflicted by the church, or or by the the Roman officials there, and by um, the Judaizers, such that um, the, the church at Rome is knowledgeable of the ministry at Philippi, such that they could say that I, that there is this warm embrace, this affectionate tie. And you see this bond forged between churches. This relationship such that um, there's ministry happening even behind the scenes. Number three, if that was not enough, the apostle informs them that there is a group within a group. One reason that we believe that, I would, I would argue that all the saints greet you, but especially that all the saints must be a tangible group of people because this certainly, these people certainly are a tangible group of people. 
Because he says that the Roman church who greets them, that there is someone within that, that other group of saints that especially greets them. Right? He says in verse 22, but especially those who were of Caesar's household. Um, the word there especially um, identifies a group of people that, that, that chiefly, the word could be translated specially, most of all, above all, or chiefly. That within this group of saints, they all have an affection for you, a warm embrace, a greeting. But there is someone, a group within that, that warmly embraces you, thinks of you, prays for you, um, even more than the rest. Their greetings, in some sense, outrun the rest, outrun the group. So this is the group within the group. And it sounds a little odd when you think about it long enough. Because Paul argues over and over again, even here, against partiality. And for the receipt of all the saints regardless. But here he says, these guys are kind of partial. Um, but I'm convinced that it's not a partiality fixed upon discrimination or a sense of inferiority. But actually a special love. A very warm heart for a particular ministry. Not at the detriment of any others, but to the profit of another. And you know that's true, right? You know, practically and spiritually speaking... That God has uniquely made and gifted each of us as a church with a definitive identity through natural and spiritual means and placed us here providentially. And because we are who we are and where we are, providentially the ministries that God is, brings into our lives, that there will be some in which God gives us an affinity for some that He does not others. Right? So while there's an affection because of the people here for some, some thrust in ministry... Um, doesn't necessitate that we don't agree with other ministries. Or that because we're not engaged in this thing, that means that we don't care about that at all. Even within the context of the local assembly. What we recognize is that this is a body. And individually God has gifted different people with different spiritual gifts. And while some may be engaged in some things, others will be engaged in other things. And that's actually the way that it ought to be. And we're not to look at one another and say, you know, that person's not out here um, doing this thing. Therefore, they don't care about it at all. That's not it. It doesn't necessitate that. But that actually... When God is, is engaged in the ministry uh, and, and, and the church is thriving and the individuals are growing in Christ, God is uniquely giving and gifting them along with their natural constitution, their personality, spiritual giftings and calls to certain particular ministries such that we can have a full-orbed view when everyone is operating as the ministers that God has given them. And God will do the same within the church. So, so what you should see are that churches that have unique fingerprints and footprints within the world, um, and that may be somewhat different than others. Why? Because we are different churches and different people. And that God will give us unique affections for other congregations and other ministries that may be like-minded or may have ministered to us in some particular way. And that's how the, the, the body of Christ works and accomplishes the goal throughout all the world. It's not because we're all doing the exact same thing and we're a carbon copy of one another, but out of the love of Christ that He has born in us, He gives us love and affection, sometimes even especially for certain things, because He has made us for that for such a time as this. And we're to embrace that. We're not to look at the church down the road and say, you know, they're not doing what we're doing. They're heretics. And they're not to look at us and say, they should be a little bit more engaged in this. Maybe we should. And maybe we shouldn't. I don't know. But the reality is, is that we can't do all things. 
at all times, but we should be doing something at some time. And God will use providence and scripture and the spirit of God to lead us and guide us. And uniquely, it seems that, that God had given this small group of saints in Caesar's household this this special affection for the ministry that was happening there at Philippi. And maybe you could imagine why, right? Um, because these people may have, a, may have a, a very similar story. Who are these people? Number three, uh, you can put this under the heading, the reality of this love and affection displayed in the most unlikely of places. Some may argue that this love and affection is easy to do in the context of comfortable Christianity. But you don't know what I've been going through. I'll almost guarantee you that none of us have it quite like those that were in Caesar's household. Those that were in Caesar's household. Caesar's household refers to all those people who would have lived, worked, family or not, um, within the, probably within the actual palace of, of the Caesar of Rome. Who was the Caesar of Rome at that time? Without a doubt, it was Nero. Um, Nero. So this would have been servants, free men, those high in office, those that weren't. Um, and there would have been a plurality. It says those that are in, multi, apparently multiple Christians, um, were living, serving, and operating within the context of Nero's um, house. Um, you say, well, what does that have to do with much of anything? Well, it wouldn't if Nero would have been a nice guy. But what you find when you study history, as well as the New Testament, but more history, that Nero would have been that Caesar, that ruler over Rome during the time that even the Apostle Paul is in chains. And history tells us, again, it could be correct or not, but it was actually under Nero's rule, and his command that Paul's going to lose his head. Possibly it's going to be persecution against the Christians. And his edict that is going to put Peter upside down on a Roman cross to die um, in the fashion after his, his Lord. Other than that, Nero is known for his malice towards all men. He had his own mother killed, kicked his wife to death, pregnant with a child, remarried to a man, later to a young boy. Um... Against Christians, there was almost no parallel in history. Um, he would light them, his garden yard, and throughout the streets, he would light Christians um, aflame um, to light the darkness in the midst of the night. He would do unthinkable things um, because he hated Christ and he hated Christians. Um, history proclaims that, um, that he was a tyrant above tyrants, um, cared only for himself, steeped in demonic activity, paganism, and things that are even unmentionable within the context of this local assembly, considering the children that are here. So why mention it at all then? Because Paul mentions it. Paul's in Rome, and he mentions, to some extent, that there are saints within the context of Caesar's house. And, they, and Paul wants them to know that they especially have an affection for the church that is at Philippi. We would surmise at some point 
that those within the household of Caesar actually came and ministered to the Apostle Paul. That those under his tyrannical rule and even service in some capacity um, would have came to the Apostle and either been ministered to or ministered to him. We would surmise that Paul told them of the story of the Philippian church to encourage and strengthen their faith. Again, this is speculation, so take it for what it's worth. But something happened providentially to bind um, this church at Caesar's, these, these people, the people of God, the saints at Caesar's household, to bind them especially to the church at Philippi in thought and affection. So I, think it's, I don't think it's far-fetched to surmise that, that these people came to the apostle while he's imprisoned and, and chained to a Roman soldier. Or maybe the Roman soldiers, those in Caesar's household, went back and told them of the apostle Paul. And as a father tells the exciting tale of a battle between good and evil, valor and victory over the enemies, you can imagine young believers, afflicted saints under the tyranny of Caesar's household who were struggling with their position in life and living in day-to-day holiness and utter darkness and godless tyranny, how their eyes would light up if Paul told them of another group of people um, in a Roman colony in their extreme poverty, their affliction and persecution, and, and how God was using them through their faithfulness and fellowship and communion with God. That the gospel was going forth through Philippi, even against all odds. You can imagine how a person like that or a a people like that may have an affection for a church like that. What we see in this passage um, is the cultivation of affection one for another in the individual saints, but also in the saints corporate, even abroad. That, that, that it seems that the apostle, for, for, for a number of reasons, is constantly bringing an awareness and sowing seeds of knowledge to the people of God at Philippi, as well as Rome, of one another, such that they have grown in affection and no doubt entered into the ministry of prayer or whatever else they, they could do. What we see is this love and affection um, between the churches. And what we see is this passage is, is these legitimate, explicit tokens of affection that are given one to another. Why? Because Paul thinks it's necessary to, for Philippi to know that Rome's thinking about them. Paul thinks it necessary for Philippi's sanctification for some reason and their progress in the faith to know that the saints that are with him, Titus, Timothy, possibly others, they would have known has an affection for them. Can you imagine how, how strengthening and encouraging that would have been? I can only tell you from personal experience and the encouragement and strength that I gain from knowing that there are other brothers in this congregation and sisters in Christ, couples, as well as brothers throughout the Tri-Cities now, and maybe one day abroad, who, are, who regularly recognize myself, as well as this church, in their prayer life, because God, for whatever reason, has given them an affection for us. And I can tell you that that happens more than intermittently. That as I gather together with brothers and pastors, when we have opportunity, and I have all the confidence in the world that when they tell me that, they are telling me it's true. Or that it's true. And what encouragement it is to know that God is using them as a means to lift up this congregation. Know this church, 
that I not only pray for you, and you not only pray for one another, but you are on the prayer list of other men throughout this community. And that we may get to heaven one day and see the fruit and the labors of the prayer of men, women, and children that you never knew. So how can we apply this? Three quick applications. Number one, I would say, what do we do with this? Say, number one, we do this. Know that true brotherly love and affection and word and deed towards one another is true fruit of the gospel. It's true fruit of the gospel. Um, Again, by this shall everyone know that you are my disciples. Paul, as well as the saints, had a love and affection for one another simply by virtue of their union in Christ. This is something the gospel produced. not something they produced in themselves. They just didn't muster it up. But But the love of God was born in them. And as they became saints in Christ, and they began to love the brethren in um, phenomenal ways, even apart from themselves. And as praise is the usual companion and subsequent expression of the culmination of joy in our hearts, two um, tokens, kinds of acts, uh, kindness, even something as simple as a greeting to express love and concern for a brother is the usual companion. And subsequent expression of the true God-given love in Christ. You know, that joy cannot stay contained for long. It does at times. You can have a joyful spirit. But at the same time, what you recognize, boys and girls, is that when joy fills your heart, what does it do? It generally reaches your lips and praise. And that if true love is bound up in the heart of a believer, it will not be long contained such that it overflows in the acts of kindness. Right? And, and, and acts of kindness such that, that other men know. Not so that they will know that you necessarily love them, but, but through your actions, because of God's activity in your souls, it will produce in your hands and feet actions because of the love that you have for them. And, you'll rec- and, and they will recognize that that knowledge of that love is actually encouraging and strengthening to know that we are loved and that we are, we are valued and that we are cared for. There is, again, not in a self-serving type of way, right? But in a humble way, you know, that week in and week out, you recognize that the love of Christ is overflowing in this place and its activity of service one to another. How encouraging that is in a context of knowing, like, I don't deserve any of this, you know? None of it at all. Not one ounce. And Jesus Christ enters into this world and saves sinners like us. And not only does He declare, like in a judicial manner, forgiveness of sins, but He gives to you and to me expressions of love in the context of a body of Christ that is beyond, beyond, is inexhaustible to think about. That the love of Christ is, is, that there are these tokens of the love of Christ day in and day out, these signs of affection and kindness one to another that is a constant reminder of the love of God that He has for us in Christ. Such that He would not only give us eternal life, but He would preserve us and secure us and foster and cultivate our progress in the faith by giving us one another in Himself. That, that, that you need to know that. 
that Christ has designed the body in such a way to preach that message to you day in and day out in a lively community of God's people. And that will encourage your heart, that will strengthen your faith, that will cause you to persevere, that will produce in you a, an energy to wake up and to serve and honor Christ. How in the world could I not? In the expression of love that He has displayed. That love needs to be displayed. Christ display, God the Father displays it in the work of Christ the Son for all the world to see. And if that love is wrought in your heart and in mine too, we should be looking intentionally for, to, to, to dis display that love to one another. That it should be the overflow. The action should be the overflow. There should be a demonstrable love. One that is not to be displayed only through words, but through service and allegiance to one another. That we're to consider it, church. And I would argue determine ways in which we will show our love, affection, and appreciation for one another. Maybe in something as simple again as a warm handshake, a strong embrace, a simple conversation, a text midweek, an invitation to home for dinner, lunch, coffee in the morning. Simple, cultural, accepted act of kindness that, that, will, that will communicate to that other person, I care, and I'm here for you, and Christ loves you, and I love you, and, and if you need me, know that, that, I, that I am available. Such that if they do not avail themselves of the resources, it is not because we were cold and aloof and indifferent and partial in a discriminatory way. It is because they have chose not to receive that love. But let them have to walk, so let them have to walk over it because of our constant um, in, endeavor to, to show them the very love of Christ. And at the same time, don't do it simply because you feel like you're being bull bullied by your wife or pastor. You know, you need to get, to get together with other men. <clears throat> that it grows out of a true affection and love for one another. A sign of affection only compounds the hurt, actually, when it's not in genuine. Right? When your intentions are made known like a Judas who portrayed Jesus with a kiss, the hurt is only compounded because you really didn't care at all. Instead, let your yes be yes and your no be no, and let your holy kiss be a holy kiss in true affection. Otherwise, you're doing more harm than good. So let it be real. Let it be extended to, to all believers. Regardless of race, ethnicity, social status, personality, your own personality, your own introversion. Well, believe me, I'm the worst. I'm the worst now, not to even make eye contact. I'm the worst in, on a Lord's Day morning to put my head down and go. Why? Because I've got a task at hand. And forgive me for that. You know? To struggle within my own soul and how convicted I have been um, that, that, that all the church should never question how much their lover, that their pastor loves them um, and their service to them. And if so, forgive me. And may God ignite this in my heart such that I, I could be the forerunner in, in these tokens and signs because you truly are a gift to me in so many ways. Um, also, just a note at the end of this application. Teach your children these realities young. Right? Teach your little ones to respect the body of Christ. To love the body. To serve the body. 
Um, a great way to start doing this is to teach them to greet one another, to, to talk to adults, to say hello, to shake hands intentionally, to make eye contact, not to run in front of or to cut between. You know, and not to use shyness as, a cue, as, as, as an excuse. You know, sometimes we want to say to our children, say hello to Mr. So-and-so, shake his hand. Oh, he's just, I know he's just rebellious. He's defiant. All right. And he needs to work through that and be obedient to recognize and to cultivate in himself a, a respect for one another, a respect for the body and a respect for his elders. We should be teaching them these things early on, such that when Christ comes in and saves their soul, there will not be that awkwardness, but it will be, but, but, but their love and affection will be built upon already, um, already habits already inculcated into their lives. Number two, application. Cultivate an affection not only for the saints here at Christ's Bible, but also for the saints abroad. This text teaches us that we're not an to be isolated on an island alone as a church, right? And that we're actually to build relationships through life together in whatever means necessary and whatever God provides, um, that we should constantly, and us as your leaders, should be constantly making you aware of the activity of God throughout the nations and making you aware, sowing seeds of knowledge such that you recognize the body of Christ and their affliction as well as their prosperity throughout the nations. How encouraging it is right, to hear from a missionary or to hear from a church or to know that that church is praying for you. That this is what you see in the apostolic church as an apostolic example. You say, show me a command. You know, I think here's a command, but... But at the same time, even if there wasn't, the apostles are leading the way by example. You go to the book of Acts... And there nowhere says, baptize a believer. But we do it because that's what they did. It doesn't say, continue steadfastly, church, 2,000 years later. Continue steadfastly in the faith, in the apostles' doctrine, um, in, in the breaking of bread, in the fellowship and prayers. It says they did, thus we do. Right? Their example actually means something to us. It sets the pace. And we follow in that example, and we too should follow in this example of forging relationships with one another for the sake of their prosperity and progress in the gospel, but two for ours in that, in that relationship of mutual edification and affection. Number three, and maybe most importantly, may this set before us a renewed faith and a renewed confidence in the gospel. Why? Because the gospel thrived, not only in salvation, but also in godly fruit in the most unlikely of places. May this set before us a renewed faith and confidence in the gospel. Why? Because this is a clear expression of how the gospel thrived in saving men in the most unlikely places and for the fruit of that gospel in their daily lives to be lived out in such a way that no doubt Caesar took note. Right? That there was fruit of the love of God's people that was thriving in the most unlikely of places. This is phenomenal. This is, you need a whole sermon on this, right? There were believers in Caesar's household. I mean, that's a modern day miracle. I mean, to think about that in the context of today would be like, hey, your pastor was out preaching and he was imprisoned. And it's going because he was preaching the gospel. He was arrested and he's in prison. And he's been in prison for six months now. And he writes a letter to you and he says, he says, I want to encourage you and instruct you. And all that's happening at the end, he says, the saints in Washington, D.C. greet you. <laughs> right? Exactly. 
Exactly. You can imagine at Philippi, they're thinking, how could anything grow in Caesar's household? Just like we're thinking, how could anything grow in Washington, D.C.? It's so corrupt. There's so much decline. There's so much decay in the body there. How in the world could God do anything? And Paul stands up today and the Spirit of God says, take heart. When the Word of God, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 9, Paul speaks about being in chains and he says, I may be in chains, but the Word of God is not bound. Through Paul's ministry to the saints there in Rome, either through his activity with the the praetorium guard that is chained to him, or through the, the actions of the Romans and the church that is thriving there, at some point the gospel permeated Caesar's household such that they're asking questions, looking at one another, how in the world do I live in this context? And what you see is you see them there with an affection for the saints at Philippi. What you see is love thriving in some capacity. And you should take heart for that church, with that church. You should be encouraged. Why? Because I talk to you. And we live in a godless society. And some of you work in the most seemingly godless of places. And it may be that just like Paul, throughout the ages, just like Esther and Joseph and Daniel, that God has placed you providentially in that moment, not to discourage your heart, but to, but to display the love and affection for God and for His glory in such a way that it becomes paramount that, that Caesar is not Lord, but Christ is. You know, that you are to serve and to labor. You are not to, to, to constantly live day in and day out wishing and wondering if the grass is greener on the other side or despising your state of circumstances, but to recognize for some reason God has determined that I am here now. Right? And that the Spirit of God is much more powerful and the Word of God is much more powerful um, to, 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 to change lives than it is for darkness to change me. Right? That we worry that the darkness will... And sometimes it takes grip and we have to step back and, to, and God has to revive our souls. Yet at the same time, we recognize that, 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 that true faith that, that grips the reality of salvation and our call of God in this life embraces the providence that surrounds us and the circumstances that God gives us as, as somewhat of a treasure because here someone needs to know of Christ. They need to hear of Christ. And they need to see of Christ's activity in my life. And that was true at Philippi. That was true at Philippi. That, 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 that God was at work. The world was taking note. Opposition was coming. Can you imagine why, just maybe why now, that those in Caesar's household had a special affection for those at Philippi? They could relate how encouraging it must have been to hear of another church that was persevering in the faith and that God was using and that God was working in to take his gospel to the ends of the earth, even in spite of that. Those in Caesar's household needed to know that. They needed that reminder. And maybe you do as well this morning. That you are where God has placed you. To live out that reality. To not only proclaim with your lips Christ is Lord, but to live out that reality. In visible fashion. Clinging to Christ. And that all the world may know. That Caesar is not Lord. But Christ is. And not to be rebellious. And not to just do it to upset the apple cart. But because convictionally. You recognize. That, that all the world must know. That Jesus Christ is King. 
And the way that God has ordained it, primarily in this life, is through trophies of grace. Not only, in, not only heard him in word, but also seen him in deed in the activity of your soul. So strive to be faithful, church. And when you forget and you get discouraged, think of Caesar's household. And may God use it in your life to, pu- to push you on in the faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank and praise you for what you're accomplishing in the life of this church. Father, we thank and praise you for the text before us. What a blessing it is to know, Father, of what you've accomplished in days past among your people. How encouraging it is, Father, to know um, that you've not changed and you continue to accomplish that in the people of God today. Father, we are not far removed. We may be far removed from the New Testament church, but we are not far removed from that same spirit nor that same gospel. Help us to believe it as they did, Father. Help us to persevere in courage. Help us to persevere, Father, with fortitude and resolve. Help us to push forward, Father, with with love and admiration, Father, for your Son, but also love and compassion for a lost and a dying world, yet at the same time never forsaking a holy life. And may that, Father, be a token and a sign, a picture, what this world may needs that this world needs to see, and may you, Father, in places like Caesar's household in Washington D.C., Father, in our places of work and maybe in our homes, do the unthinkable, accomplish the impossible, Father, and bring forth seeds of the gospel. Save sinners, Father. Sanctify saints and accomplish your work in this life, Father. Remind us of the power of what the world may see. As nominal means, may we be reminded that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And it should be preached not only with our mouths, but also with our lives. So, Father, go with us now. Give us a love and affection for one another. Father, help us to display that regularly. That this body would know the care that it has in one another. And ultimately, that care in Christ. Father, use it as a means to preserve and sanctify and secure us. Father, for our final, our final day. Well, we love and thank you in Christ's name. Amen. If you will, we'll stand and sing.